It is uh, June 15th, 2016. I think I have got a word tonight for you. It's an interesting thing how our church history goes here. We're a church that goes hard after the Lord. So it's not uncommon to get a two and a half hour message that uh, just challenges you to your core. For some of you, that crosses over into a line of condemnation. That is never our intention. It's not our desire to push you down, to hold you back, certainly not to discourage you. It is our job to clearly present the standard before you and encourage you that it's obtainable because of the blood of Christ, because of the spirit of Christ. uh, I'm going to take my time with this word, but not preach to you all night. I left Sunday's meeting confident that I delivered the exact content that God gave me to deliver. And for that, I'm excited. I also left Sunday's meeting concerned that I did not deliver it in a way that left you as hopeful as you should be. And for that, I apologize. What we're going to do tonight is challenge you and encourage you. Amen? Can you handle that? I believe that you can. There's no place on earth that I would rather be than speaking to this congregation. This is my heart. I've given my life to it. When I have a 19-year-old son that is teaching foundations classes now at this point, and he could not walk when we moved here to start this church, that says how much of my life I've given to this congregation. Uh, We care for you deeply. During the worship service, I got prophecies for several of you. This morning, praying for you, I texted and asked some of you to make sure you were at the service because... We care for you. The pastoral staff of this church is praying for you. We don't know the numbers in this church. We don't count the heads and we don't count the dollars. But what we very much do is we take stock and account of your life. We we care very much. If I haven't said that enough, I want to tell you that everything that we do, from the apps that we're working with that are broken half the time to the websites that, you know, I can get so mad I throw my mouse at because uh, when we need it, the search feature doesn't work right to the podcast, to everything. It is for one reason. We love the Lord and he told us to love you and we really, really do. With that in mind, I want to tell you about palm trees. We're going to leave this slide here for just a second. Do y'all recognize Exodus fifteen twenty seven? Then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camp there near the water. I can't tell you all of the things that that passage means to me right now. But those of you that have been in the church for a while know it changed my life. As silly as that may seem, the idea that God would use 12 springs to feed 70 palm trees, and the palm trees may represent the body of Christ throughout the world, and the 12 springs represent those He had poured a special revelation into, it changed me. It changed me to the extent that ever since he spoke to me about it, I've spent at least 100 days out of the year outside of this country. And I don't know how many days inside the country evangelizing because it means something to me. 
I want to walk with you from law, prophets, writings, New Testament law, New Testament prophet, New Testament writings about palm trees. And we're not going to turn to every passage because you're going to write them down and I'm going to tell you about them so that I can focus on some of the scripture that I need to know that you walk away from here with today. Okay? So here comes an overview. Uh, the idea of a palm tree is so loved in the Bible that Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar, you can write down Genesis 38 and you can read all about Tamar. Tamar has a rough life. I mean, she's mistreated, she's abused, she's slandered, and she's almost put to death under false pretenses. Tamar means palm tree. It turns out that in the Hebrew world, because of the shape of a palm tree, tall, slender, and you'll have to fill in the rest of those details, a palm tree was thought of as elegant, beautiful, maybe even shapely. And so a beautiful name to give your daughter would be Tamar. And we see it several times in the Bible. Uh, there's more than one Tamar, but this Tamar makes it into the lineage of Jesus Christ. And even the man, Judah, who is about to kill her in Genesis 38, 6, confesses over time, wow, she is more righteous than I. You have to love something that is innately beautiful because of its actions. Something that is beautiful because no amount of resistance, slander, trouble poured upon it, and yet the end testimony of its life, you are more righteous than I. And she makes it into the lineage of Christ. Is that beautiful? What does Tamar mean? Palm tree. Okay, that was Genesis. I'd like to give you another one from the law just to do it. The very first city that Israel conquers when they go into the new land. So it was a site of defeat early and then conquer later. It was one generation's death sentence and another generation's life. There's a deep message there if you're able to understand it. And the city could never be rebuilt except at the cost of a man's firstborn son. If you look into it, you'll find out we're talking about Jericho. In Deuteronomy 34, you can write down the third verse. Jericho is referred to all over the Bible as the city of palms. Long time before there were walls there and a long time after the walls were knocked down and even to this day, there is a date palm grove there. And the city was known for that produce. It turns out that there's something intrinsically linked to palm trees in the Bible. There's an elegance and there's a beauty, but there is also a suffering and struggle and a great reward. By the time you make it into the prophets, say 1 Kings 6.29, you hear throughout the scripture, I mean all over that chapter, when they make the inner room of the temple, when they make the outer room of the temple, when they make the outer wall of the temple, when they make curtains between rooms, they have palm trees engraved upon them. Israel chose to decorate the things of God. Actually, they didn't choose. God told them to do it with palm trees because he thinks they're beautiful. What's beautiful? Palm trees. 
in the writings. By the time you get to Nehemiah, the 8th chapter and 15th verse, you find out that all along, it's in Leviticus 23 as well, but from Leviticus to Nehemiah, you find out that when Israel reached their seventh feast each year, anybody know what the seventh feast is? Sukkot, tabernacles. When they got to tabernacles each year, the feast that represents we're now in the land, but we used to have to fight for it. We used to have to travel around in tents. We're now in a permanent dwelling, but we used to have to wander like nomads. When they're celebrating that feast, the one that brings salvation to the whole world, they cover the booths in palm branches. Do you see how palm branches are linked throughout the Bible? We just made it from law to the prophets to the writings. Let's hop into the New Testament. (laughs) Actually, before we hop into the New Testament idea, how many of you have been through marriage counseling in this church? Wow. I won't have to tell you when we get to Song of Songs how beautiful palm trees are. You may have already made your own beautiful associations with palm trees regarding that. Even love is bittersweet, though. If you really love someone, you've had some tough days with them, haven't you? And that makes the good days all the better. It really does. By the time you get to the New Testament, in John chapter 12, verse 13, Jesus is entering the city. And what do the people have in their hands? Palm branches. A sign of struggle, but a sign of victory. You know... You have to stretch in the New Testament writing portions to find a a palm tree. But you can do it. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the 30th verse, it's by faith that the walls of Jericho fell. And do you know what Jericho was? The city of palms. Palm trees are associated with faith, struggle, and victory throughout the word. Now, I left out the book of Revelation, and we can't do that. So in the book of Revelation... The seventh chapter and the ninth verse. Have you ever heard that there was a multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation before the throne of God? They were all dressed in white. Do you know what was in their hands? Palm branches, right? Can we say that Israel loves palm branches, that God loves palm branches? During the Hasmonean dynasty, the days just before Jesus Christ, the 140 years or so prior, all of the coins that were minted had palm trees on them. It was... The singular most popular display in Israel, and there's a reason for that. I think maybe the place for us to start tonight, though, because you can't really talk about palm trees without talking about how you get a palm tree. So we're going to go to the second slide, and you're going to go to Genesis, the first chapter. If you don't have a Bible, look on with your neighbor We're going to be in and out of the screen tonight, but you will not be able to count on every scripture being on the screen. In Genesis, the first chapter, starting in verse 11. 11 is the third day of creation. On the first day, we have light enter the darkness. There's a separation. Uh, There's evening and morning the first day. On the second day, we have the atmosphere created Uh, There was evening and morning and it was so. And on the third day in the 11th verse, are y'all there? Uh, Two on the front row are there. How about our friends on the back row? Amen. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants. Somebody say seed-bearing. 
seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit. What do they do? Bear fruit with seed in it. We bear fruit that bears fruit. How many of you want with all of your heart in your life to bear fruit for the King of Kings? Your fruit is supposed to bear fruit. Your disciples make disciples. This is an unending thing. In verse 11, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. What do they bear according to? Their own kind. The quality of one generation determines the quality of the next. You never have an apple tree bear oranges and the oranges bear grapes. It doesn't work that way despite what the Darwinists have said. The truth is that there is only one way to bear fruit. You got to start with good seed. And on the screen before you, you see Strong's number 2233, the word is zara, and it's a masculine noun. Can y'all read that? Meaning sowing seed, descendants, offspring, children, and posterity. The literal use of the word indicates seed of the field, i.e. seed planted in a field. Now, I put this on the screen for you with all four variations of each letter of zara. That way I didn't have to drag a big board in here and write Paleo-Hebrew for you. When you look at the right, uh, that is a Zion. Can, I know it's hard to read the Zion, but can you see the right side of the screen? We have four figures in a box. Okay, the top left inside that box. Uh, it says book under it. This is the way that a Hebrew typewriter would make a Zion. Just to the right of that where it says block, that kind of crooked T, if you will. That's the way that a Hebrew student in school would probably write a letter, freehand. In the bottom left-hand corner, that's a cursive Hebrew that I personally have never run across except on some signs in Israel. And in the bottom right-hand corner, that letter, Zion, is the way that Moses originally wrote it. You follow me there? You can see all four. So, Starting with the ancient in the bottom right-hand corner, that dates to about 1500 B.C. But the cursive one just to the left of it, that's a modern times. That's that's the nation of Israel today. And that's how the letters change through the years. You can do the same thing with the resh that's next to it. You see how similar three of the reshes are? But the ancient resh looked more like a human head. Can y'all see that? And on the... uh, Far left side of the screen, where you see the I-N, it looks a little bit like a Y when it's used to be written freehand or cursive, but the block is far more distinctive. It looks like Y with a calligraphy mark on it. Of course, look at the ancient. What does the ancient I-N look like to you? An I. That's amazing how that works. Let's go to the next slide. When we isolate those ancient letters as they were written originally in the book of Genesis, what the Zion looks like is a mattock. A mattock is a tool that you use in a garden. It's it's used for agriculture. What the rest looks like is a man's head. What the I-N looks like is an eye. 
When you put the concepts that are associated with those letters, and of course this is the letters for the word seed, you get something like food, beginning, watch. Now tell me, does that relate to a seed? When you put a seed in the ground, is it a beginning? Do you watch it and later it becomes something more? The secondary associations, nourish, first, no. (laughs) When you plant a seed, is it something that you have to do first so and and you can know that food will come up? Isn't that kind of interesting how God's language works? It doesn't just make sounds. There are pictorial representations of each letter so that a child that can't quite figure out the phonetics yet can still get the idea of the word. When you look at a seed, it's food, beginning. You should watch it. <laughs> Did anybody, when you were in school, plant a bean or something, and then you go to the window seal every, every couple days and you see that it's grown a little more? Right. It's not much different than going, look, this is food. No, it's not. It's potting soil. No, I promise, there's a seed in here. This is food. No, it's just potting soil. No, watch. It's beginning. You, you keep your eye on it. And now what do you see? I see a bean, which of course is not food, but you understand what I mean, right? We're going to leave this on the screen for a minute. I want you to just concentrate or keep in mind the idea that when God says, I'm going to give you seed-bearing plants, they're going to give birth according to their kind. They will yield fruit with seeds in them. We are talking about feeding somebody beginning something, and then watching to see what God does. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It takes a lot of pressure off of you. If what you do is eat of God's word, make a new beginning, the whole world can stand back and watch you grow. Can anybody make a plant grow? But God makes it grow. When you plant it and you water it, what do you expect to happen? So let me ask you, if I am watering you with the word and you have made a beginning in the Lord, what should I expect to see? I should watch you grow. That's why we push as hard as we do in this church. We're unsatisfied with stagnation and we certainly intervene if we see something that looks like backsliding. Do you know why? We promised the Lord a harvest. We promised him that. I am a seed-bearing plant. That means I have to give birth according to my own kind. Otherwise, it says something about me as well as you. So I don't apologize for the tenacity with which we go after this. But I do want to tell you, be patient with me. Every day, I'm working at this and getting just a little better at it. You should have seen this when it started, like Miss Jennifer had to put up with. Has the word of God been planted in you? Man, if it has, how good is that? When you think of messages that are things like uh, mountains and working convictions, do you all remember that one? I got calls from all over the United States. That was a tough word. One guy in another state said that was the most convicting message that he had ever heard. When I listened to Pastor Wade preach Pulp Fiction, I, I, I wanted to get saved all over again. I was in the olive press. There was more flesh coming out of me than I wanted. And I was hoping to find some anointing oil in there. And all I could think about was the high call of God.
Did y'all have an experience like that? Then we're doing our job. When I hear Brother Brent preaching on maturing as sons, I think, I don't want to stay in kindergarten. I don't want to be in elementary school. Lord, all I want to do is have you proud of me. Anybody else feel that way? Well, good. Then you're a planting of the Lord. Something's wrong when these messages don't affect us that way. If you cross your arms, get angry, and walk out, well, maybe you never had the seed of God planted in you. But I have. And I I feel a tremendous burden to not sleep during the harvest, to be awake, to be vigilant. And I care very much about what happens to your life. This last message was called Wavering Indulgences or Pentecost. One thing that I'll say, the church walked in here today a whole lot more serious about prayer than I've seen you in a while. Amen. That's what we want. (laughs) I heard it said this week, and I'm not whining. We're going to get into a good word. I just want you to hear it. Pretty sure pastor was talking about me during that. I feel so... So convicted and I, and, and it's tough. I, I, I feel like pastor is saying that other people have passed me by. I was talking about you and the person sitting on your left and the person sitting on your right and the person behind you and the person in front of you. I feel so strongly about it that I had a plaque made and I hung it in what approximates a pastoral office. It says, of course I was preaching to you. Who should I have been preaching to? Let me ask you, why would you walk through the doors if you didn't want me to talk to you about you? Preaching that addresses everyone that is not here, that that must solely be for the purpose of entertainment. I'm here because I want to see you grow. And can you imagine how difficult that is? It's a little bit like so many of your tasks. I want to see you grow and I got a whole long list of my own problems that I'm trying to grow past. So we're not always going to get this right. But it is a pure desire. And it's it's something that God planted in us. I assure you before I was born again, I didn't care how you were doing. In fact, I'd hurt you if it helped me. But the moment I got born again, I learned to begin to lay down my desires and take up yours. Are you hearing me? then let's, let's get into something good. So pressure being put on you to grow. While we're thinking about that, let me just pick some amazing examples here. Brent and Teresa have been with us for four years. In four years' time, people that came that were a part of a different Bible translation, right? People that have been a part of a different kind of church than we were and a different state than we were have become so intertwined in our lives and us in theirs and the gospel in them that they're about to go represent not just this church, but all one association churches to the nations. That was in four years. Who would put in a good four years to represent Jesus to the whole world? Okay, let's, let's, let's take another example. We got Peyton sitting right here with his beautiful wife, Hannah, and that makes Peyton more acceptable. Hannah sitting next to him. Peyton's been in this church 11 months. Peyton and I are not related. Uh, we, we can't use that excuse. Um, while they're certainly a fine-looking couple, he was not bearded when he came in the church. In 11 months, we've watched their lives so revolutionized 
that I literally could not, if you had told me uh, before the service, they only been here 11 months, I wouldn't have believed you. We actually had to go check. I thought for sure it had been five, six years, you know. But there's rarely a night that Peyton doesn't have a Bible in his hand. There's rarely a night he's not asking me questions and I'm not picking his brain about questions. When we think about these things, I, I want you to hear this clearly as we go forward. There is no one in here that is being excluded, no one that is not deeply cared about. But what we do have a tendency to do as human beings is when we underachieve our own potential, we look for someone else to blame because if we didn't, we would have to deal with our own shortcomings and ask God to help us grow. This church is aimed at getting you to grow. So, of course, it's going to step on your toes. Those of you with very sensitive root systems in here, right? Sweet people. I'm not a sweet person. It's hard to hurt my feelings. I mean, uh, people work at it sometimes, and I still don't notice. But those of you that are really sweet, sensitive folks, and God made you that way, and I love that you're that way. You know, a coconut has got a different exterior on it than a peach for a reason, but they're both perfectly acceptable before God. And I happen to like them both. It's not like it's a Brussels sprout or something. You may hear in the preaching and teaching such hard words that you feel damaged. You go home and you're like, I just don't measure up. I'm, I'm just not worthwhile. What you should hear in the teaching is we can go further. What you should not hear in the teaching is this is not worth trying. I should give up. One comes from the devil and the other comes from the Lord, but it's the exact same seed. It's just the soil that it falls on that is different. Okay? So while we're talking about that, uh, and I, I hope I haven't bored you to death, let me tell you one of the most horrifying passages that has come to us recently. Okay, let's go to Luke 13 together. This is just one of those things that I don't know what to say. Uh, a pastor in another state called me and he said, this is the word that God gave me for my own congregation. We were talking about it and uh, one of the brothers that was not a part of the discussion here a week or so ago came to the pastors and prophesied about this passage. All I can say is after you hear the passage, ask yourself, if you were responsible for this congregation, what you would do if you heard from a pastor who's a colleague that God had said this is for his own congregation, and then the same week, uh, weekend, the next morning, a, past, uh, a sheep in your church walks up and prophesies this passage and uh, and you see coincidence. You ready for it? Luke 13, starting in verse 6. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he had said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Is that terrifying to you? It's terrifying to me. When I read the first chapters of Matthew and hear the religious leaders, John the Baptist, speak to him and say, the axe is already at the root. It's terrifying to me. Do you know why? 
I came into Christianity believing those men were hypocrites, believing those men were disreputable, men of ill repute. And the more I have studied about them, the more I find out that for the most part, they love the word more than anybody that I know. For the most part, they would have been the highest ideal of what an admirable life looks like. And it scares me. But that's not the end of this parable. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The prophecy we received was that those that were on the outer edges struggling, that we were wondering whether or not we were at a time that the axe was at their root. The Lord said, you pull them into the center just like they were your own son and daughter. Try again. Work the soil and see if they'll bear fruit. They have another year. I don't know whether the year is 12 months or not. I don't know that. I know, though, that there is a time period of day in which a man can work. And then night comes when no man can work. And do you know what? I don't want to lose one person. That's why we preach the way we do. I feel a debt to Jesus Christ to make sure that every one of these guys on the front row and every one of the guys on the back row get to the place that God has called them. So let me ask you, have you arrived yet? If you've arrived and you're sure, raise your hand. Okay, then how much work do we have to do? So I'm not going to take it lackadaisically. Okay, now you could see in this how difficult the Lord is. Produce fruit or get out. You know what I see in it? He let you waste three quarters of your life, but if you will give him one quarter of it, he will renew you and save you. Let me ask you, is there anybody in here that needs to redeem some years, redeem some time? It's funny, at 41, people say, oh, you got saved early at 18. It didn't feel early when I got saved. My whole life I had been a damnable sinner up until that moment. It's a matter of perspective, especially when you don't know how many years you'll get. In this parable, there was nothing wrong with the seed and nothing wrong with the tree. He didn't say he was going to go start carving on the tree. You know what he said he was going to do? Work the soil. He's going to dig around it. He, he's, he's going to begin to work the ground that it was planted in. In Luke 8, go to Luke 8. Luke 8 in verse 15. This is the parable of the sower. We have some that falls on a hard ground. We have some that falls on rocky soil. Some that falls on soil full of weeds. And some that falls on a good soil. But Verse 15, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word. Say, hear the word. word. Retain it. Retain it. Say it. And by persevering, by persevering. Let's do that again. Hear the word. Retain it. Persevere. Produce a crop. Listen, if the seed came from God, then your job is to hear it, to retain it, to persevere in your deeds from it, and the crop will come. 
So if you're not as fruitful as you think you should be, or if you're pretty sure there's a list of favorites in the church, consider something. If you were looking for a harvest, would your favorites be those that heard, retained, and persevered? Or would your favorites be those who are always listening, but never doing a thing different and blaming you for it? Who would your favorites be? Okay. So there is no list of cliques in this church. We don't have them. What there is is a total admiration and complete pastoral surrender of all of our time for anybody who is hearing the word, retaining the word, and persevering in the word. You want to know the way to leadership in a church like this? the way to leadership in the kingdom, the way to success in producing fruit, retain what you hear and put it to work persevering in it. You know what is removed in all of that? Competition. Do you know why? You may not have heard the same thing even in the same message. You know, what God's called one person to do is different than what he's called to another. We're not comparing lives with lives. We're holding you accountable for what God has said to you and for you to retain it and persevere in it. Anybody need a little more perseverance? Anybody need a little more retention? Anybody, oh, I don't know, been hearing but not listening? See, it's not enough. See, I listen, buddy Brasso. When you preach, I listen. Okay? This is why a guy like Andrew can come into our church and in 18 months, his life is so renovated. It's not because he walked in here with a special skill set that some of you who have been here a long time don't have. It's because he worked hard. Have you ever seen the way he carries around biblical notes? Three by five index cards, never goes anywhere without his Bible. You know, it is not a mystery. The first time Brother Treister ever came and stood on a stage here, I was correcting him in front of the entire church. And he was a guest. Tricked him. Said I wanted to pray for him. Got him on the stage and then began to dress him down about his life in front of the whole congregation. You know why? I saw extraordinary potential in him. I think he's going to be an evangelist that shakes the earth as we know it. The problem is not the seed. What we have to do is take an honest assessment of our own soil. Have we got hard places in our soil that the word just won't penetrate anymore? We've heard it before and so we're just, we're done with that. I, I don't want to hear not one more sermon on that. Well, you, you could say that, I guess, if you had so much fruit there, we couldn't get a seed in. But if what has made you hard are feelings of your own failure, or condemnation, or the devil's voice, then all you're doing is hurting yourself. Or rocky soil. If you got areas where you're like, amen, every time I hear that message, it's like New Year's all over again. I, re I repent, I join the health club, and for about three weeks I do good, and then I fall away. If every time you hear a message, your heart is spurred, and you begin to do it, but it only lasts a short time, we've got to work the soil of our hearts. It's not the preaching that's the problem. <laughs> it's not the Word of God that's the problem. 
You know what man's original occupation is? Turn with me to Genesis 1. Let's go to Genesis 2, rather. Those of you that are really used to these scriptures being on the screen, I'm not trying to punish you, but let me just suggest, if you don't have a Bible, my policy for 23 years has been anytime anyone ever asks me for a Bible, I buy them the best Bible I can find. There's a big hint. If you don't have one, all you got to do is ask. This church has never, not one time, told someone no, told someone they were unworthy of it, or not done it. I can't tell you how many Thompson Chain Bibles I've bought in my life. Now I don't even know what we would buy because my favorite translations don't even exist anymore. Maybe time to go to Nasby or New King Jimmy. Although that would be difficult. Are you in Genesis 2? I'm just teasing. I love those translations. Read them every day. Genesis 2. Let's pick up in verse 15. I'm one of those pastors that picks the translation that says what I wanted to say the best. (laughs) The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Why did he put him there? Why did he put you here? When the seed hits your heart, what do you have to do? See, it's not enough to hear it. Now, he didn't have to work the seed. What he had to work was the soil. I know people that are working the seed all day long. You know, well, what this really says, and, and they're working all the way around it to make it inapplicable to their life. They're spending all of their time working the thing that is supposed to work them. See, when the seed gets down into the soil, things grow up beside it that are trying to compete with it. Well, what do you mean uh, a generous man refreshes others? I, I, I mean, I think I'm pretty generous. Surely the Lord doesn't want me to give away my last bite of steak. Frank preached a word the other night, just crush me. I don't even want to tell my wife about it. She'll want me to do it. Talking about saving your wife the last bite of your filet mignon. When the seed goes into the garden, the man's job is to work that garden. Can I tell you, that was true even in a perfect state. What does that tell you? How much harder in a state that's not perfect? Human beings, no matter what, even without sin, don't naturally want to be hungry. They don't naturally want to go without sleep, even when there's not sin. Jesus didn't like being tired any more than you like being tired. He didn't like being hungry any more than you like being hungry. It was just as hard for him as it is for you. And he had no sin nature. It requires you to deal with your own soil in every situation for the word of God to produce fruit. But the good news is, you're not responsible for the quality of the seed. You are not responsible for the growth that comes from the seed. You're only responsible for working the soil around the seed. The Word of God will do what the Word of God does if it has no competitors in your life. 
Well, I just don't know how to get close to God. Get close to His Word. But but I am close to the Word. Get rid of the things that are competing with it. Well, I'm trying to work the soil. It's the first job man was ever given. And when you work the soil of your heart in life, the result is fruit with seeds in it. That is fact or else God has lied to us from the second chapter of the Bible forward. And friends, my experience has been that he never lies. If there's a problem, the problem's with me. That's what I know. And Deuteron- you don't have to turn there. In Deuteronomy 34, 2, write it down. Everything God does is perfect. All of his ways are straight. There's no fault in him. If there's a fault, it's with you. If your life hasn't gone the way that you had envisioned it going, either your vision from the get-go was faulty or you've had a problem along the way. But the answer in either case is work the soil of your own heart. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to find flaws in other people and how difficult it can be to identify your own worst enemies? We have this little exercise where we write down the five most sinful traits found in us, the five things that uh, dog us, that are that we're working to kill, and they're there. And you would be shocked how hard it is for people. Even when they can write them, they don't want to read them to you. But you ask five reasons you don't like President Obama, and you get 15. Ask five reasons you don't like Donald Trump, you get 20. It is so easy for us to evaluate another's life and it's difficult to evaluate our own. So one of the services of the church of God is to shove right into your face the mirror in such a way that you can't help but take a hard look at your own life. Does that make sense to you? You know, historically, that's what preaching looked like. It's only in our time that we've had clowns entertaining goats. It's circus Christianity. Our heart's desire is to see you do well. Turn to 2 Samuel. We're going to be in the 6th chapter. Say there when you're there. So we went back to the law. Now we're back in the prophets. In the second second Samuel, chapter 6, we have the ark being brought into Jerusalem. And in verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. What has happened is the tangible, visible um, object of God's presence. The thing on earth that looked exactly like the representation of his throne has gone into a tent. Do you see the symbology there? This is like the presence of the living God entering you when you are born again and spirit-filled. The very next thing that David does, after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, say bread, Bread. 
a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women. You know where you get dates? Palm trees. When the Spirit of God or the throne of God entered the tent, the king of Israel gave every person there fruit, more than one kind of fruit, and he gave them bread that represents the word. God's Spirit being planted inside of you will lead you into all of the fruit-bearing activity you ever needed. The problem is not with the Spirit of God that was put in you. You know what the problem is? Our own soil. When He speaks, how quick are we to obey? When He speaks, do we tell Him ten reasons that we cannot do what He has told us to do? Ten reasons that we've tried that before and it hurt us? Ten reasons that we're not open to that idea? Ten reasons that we've always failed before? Because when the Spirit enters the tent... The result is the king of Israel presents fruit. Maybe this is one of the reasons palm trees were on everything in ancient Israel. They wanted to be reminded that God had called them to be fruitful. And that even in their most difficult times, even when it looked like everything was dried up and dead. You know, I can't think of a more difficult time in their life than at the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I want to show you something, though, while we're talking about interesting things. Let's go to our next slide. This is a potted plant. Thank you very much. You can all go home now. This is a Judean date palm. It was planted in 2005, and they gave it the name Methuselah. The picture is from 2008, so it was almost three years old, and it was taken by a National Geographic photographer. Because those guys love to go take pictures of ordinary houseplants, right? How interesting. How does that thing make it in a National Geographic? I mean, our plants in the back look better than that does. Well, I'm going to be honest. Our plants in the back do not look better than that does. Apparently, we've been giving you the water of the word, but not them the water that flows from uh, the tap. Let's take our next picture. This is the same tree in 2015, and it's now grown to be over nine feet tall. They took it from potting soil and put it in the soil there in Israel. You know, in the first century, when the Romans were coming into Jerusalem, they noted that there were palm trees that were 80 feet high. Is that incredible? This one's got a long ways to go before it gets there. 80 feet high. This one's only 9 feet. I didn't know it, but palm trees, uh, they come in male and female varieties. That's crazy. You know, I never turned one upside down to look, but um, <laughs> this is a boy palm tree. And it's important to know that because there are whole passages of Scripture that seem very strange if we're reading about a boy. Let's go to our next uh, slide. These seeds, these literal seeds in this man's hand were discovered at Masada. Now, Masada was around 70 AD. I mean, this is, it's the last siege of the fall of Jerusalem. They ran to Masada. So these seeds they found at Masada in 1965. 
Looking at them, they went, well, it's, it's neat to have really old seeds from Masada, but what are we going to do with them? And they threw them in a storage until 2005. So not only do the seeds date to 35 to 65 AD, that's, that's when they're carbon dated to, but they sat in an archaeological dig from the 60s and 70s AD all the way to 1965. And then when found in 1965, they were thrown into a storage, literally in a guy's desk is what the article says. <laughs> Genetic studies of these seeds have shown that they are a Judean palm tree and yet they're obviously a part of an older strand, yes, Ibrahim, that comes from Egypt. In other words, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they took with them seeds. Those seeds went from tragedy right into victory in the promised land, and they planted them there. Those trees died out completely around the end of the second century. When the people were run out of the land, their fruit trees died. They were extinct for 1,800 years. And then somebody found a 2,000-year-old seed at Masada, dry, neglected, buried in the dirt, forgotten by history. Let's look at Job together. Say there when you're in Job 14. We started in Genesis. We moved to 2 Samuel, the prophets. Now we're in Job, the writings. In Job 14, starting in verse 7, at least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again, and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil. Would you say that a 2,000-year-old seed is dead? Would you say there's no hope for the 2,000-year-old seed? By the way, the tree that we were looking at in the potting soil was an extinct tree that came from the seed in that man's hand. It's the oldest seed ever recovered, replanted, and it germinated and grew. And it is a Judean palm tree. The Russians tried to do it with a seed and they claimed success everywhere, but it turns out they cheated. And it's been proven to the whole world. This is the oldest successful planting in the world. Look at verse 9. Yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. I want to tell you that no matter how dry and dead your promise seems to be, no matter how unfruitful the word has seemed to be to you, it could have been forgotten in an archaeological dig. It could have been killed by the Romans. It could have been buried by history. But at the scent 
of water. Your promise can bud again. You just have to work the soil. That put that thing in a little pot. So that somebody could check on it each day. So that they could literally hold it in their hands. And it eventually outgrew the pot. Go back a slide. So they put it in a fenced in area. That thing has got 24 hour surveillance on it. And around the clock somebody mans the tree and the camera. Do you know why? It's the only one of its kind in the whole world. And it's a male. We got any single people here? They wanted to see, does the tree still got it? So they took its pollen and not having a Judean female, they had to do some cross-species pollination. And after 2,000 years with a little bit of water on that seed, it grew into a tree that makes other trees. You know what's happened here in the last few years? They've planted more. And now they have to wait to see whether or not there's a female in the bunch. Because if there is a female in the bunch, if Mr. Methuselah here can get a bride, we could eat the dates that Jesus ate again. After 2,000 years removed from the earth. Oh, saints... If we could take just a minute to reflect on how big our God is. Have you reasoned him out of your calculation? Say, no, 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 I understand how big he is. You just don't understand how bad off I am. You've just made yourself bigger than him. I know what it's like to fail. I failed a whole lot more than I have succeeded. Sometimes I preach about him. Sometimes I just tell my friends, it never goes unnoticed because every one of those is an opportunity for God to put water on it and watch it, watch it grow. It is in our very weaknesses that our king is glorified, not our strengths. It's in the areas that it looked like there was no hope. It's in the areas that looked like they were beyond, go to the seeds, beyond help that when you drop water on them, you get to see that God makes things grow. Now, they don't get to just sit back and say, well, if God wants us to grow, they'll grow. They'll never grow in that hand no matter what happens. They have to be put into soil. And that soil has to be carefully tended to or they don't grow. But even if you put old dried up seeds and properly water it and properly work the soil, it produces seed bearing Plants. Turn with me to Psalm 92. We're going to catch another writing before we make our way through the word. Are y'all doing all right tonight? I feel kind of silly being a 41-year-old man hiding in the back bathroom of my house, reading about a tree on my phone and crying. But I just got to tell you, the hope of the resurrection is all around us. And if he can raise your dry, dead, nasty corpse...
from the grave after hundreds of years, when you had been food for worms and potting soil yourself, if he can make that glorious, I refuse to stand here and argue with you about whether he can make your life glorious now. The problem is not the seed. It is our responsibility to work the soil. Follow me? Psalm 92, verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Where will they flourish? Hebrews 10, 24 says, Do not forsake the gathering together of believers as some are in the habit of doing. If the devil has told you that you need to separate from this body so that you can hear from the Lord, tell him to shut his dirty pie hole. God does not contradict his word. The voice that tells you to move away from fellowship is the voice that is trying to keep you from the water that would hit the seed. It's trying to keep you from the mirror that would show you your true condition. Trying to keep you from that which God instituted on this earth for your benefit so that you could bear fruit. I'm amazed the number of times I hear it. I'm amazed the number of times I think it. We had a couple technical difficulties Sunday. I wanted to leave before I was done preaching. And I was the one preaching. I want to just go hide somewhere. You have to work the soil of your heart. You have to. Well, I just, sometimes you need to be alone with God. Granted, Jesus was alone with the Lord. You know when he was? Anybody want to tell me? Well, the disciples were still sleeping. You know what he never did? Forsook church meetings. Forsook preaching opportunities. Forsook the fellowship with the other people. To go hear from God. He went to go be alone with the Lord while the others were asleep. He went to go be alone with the Lord while the others were doing other things. But he did not skip the Sermon on the Mount to go be alone with his Father. That is a devilish idea that has crept into the church that is just flat out wrong. If you'd like law prophets writings on it, come to my house. Spend a couple minutes with me. I'll give it to you any time that you want, but you know what I would really like? For you to examine your own motivations. Does it get just a little tough to be told to grow all of the time? Of course it does. Consider the alternative, though. An object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted on by an outside The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. Do you know what that means? Your best fruit is not in the years behind you. It's still in the years ahead of you. In your oldest age, this seed is 2,000 years old. The baby is 2,000 years old. It's still got its whole life ahead of it, but it can bear fruit. Right now, after only 10 years. Actually, less, yeah, 10 years. That's incredible. You know, when we look out here, 
Some are Judean palms, some are cedars of Lebanon, some are pine trees, some are oak trees. We all grow differently. I get it. But we all have to grow. How many of you ever said, ain't no rock going to take my place. I'm going to praise his name. You ever read those scriptures and thought like that? Okay, I'm the only one with my hand raised. Rocks don't grow. God's not glorified with rocks. Rocks don't do anything. They just sit there. There's no life in them at all. He didn't choose rocks to praise his name. He chose living, moving, breathing, reproducing Christians. Amen? They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Say fresh Fresh. and green. Interesting study of this word green. I'm at 59 minutes and 18 seconds, so I will spare you that. But if you've ever read the first chapter of Song of Songs, green might be a whole lot more fun than you think it is. They'll be teeming with life. Teeming with life. Let me ask you something. Is the number one thing that people would say about you in a blind survey, they're so alive. Because that's a goal. I can live with the fact that people say I'm serious. I can even live with the fact that there's a few that think I'm mean. I can live with the fact that people call me intense. But there's one thing I have not been called in many, many years. Dead. Church, work your soil. Take an honest assessment of where you're at, not for the purpose of beating yourself into the ground, for the purpose of looking at what rocks you need to remove, what what hard ground you need to break up, what weeds you have to kill. Because all that is going to matter is whether or not we've produced fruit that is producing fruit. And the thing is, God didn't call you here to fail. He called you here to succeed. I'm not accustomed to failing when it comes to people. And I can live with personal failure, but I can't live with yours. We will give the Lord the inheritance that is due Him. And we can do it. We can do it together. We can join arms and bask in the water of His Word. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. Actually, just turn to 1 Peter. When you get to 1 Peter, the first chapter, I'm going to quote to you 1 Corinthians. There are so many places in the book of Corinthians that talk about seed. And I don't have the opportunity to read them to you today for fear of losing the point in the greater message. But I'll say this. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. And God made it grow. So then it remains that once a seed is planted, what has to be done? Say, give me the water. Give me the water. Because at the scent of water, that seed will sprout. Don't hide from the water. Don't be scared 
Don't have performance anxiety. You want to swim in the deep waters of the Spirit in the Word. It is the only way anyone grows. And it is the reason that in 11 months, Peyton and Hannah have done what they've done. It is the reason that Andrew is sitting on the front row in the church instead of hiding from us in the parking lot. It's the reason that Nolan got married. It's the reason that Keith sits back there with a beautiful wife and they're on fire with the Lord today. It's not always this way. We've seen many times it did not go this way. But the answer was always the same. The word is unchangeable. It's the soil that has to be worked. And if we can do that and acknowledge it and ask for help with it, sometimes you might have a boulder you just can't roll out of the way. That's what a brother's there for. I sat with an anointed man of God who is far greater than me yesterday. And he said, you have to help me. I don't see it. Tears streaming down his face. He said, I don't see what y'all are talking about. That's why we need our brothers. That's why we need each other. But by the next morning, God had ministered to his soul and showed him in, hear me, the law, the prophets, the writings, the New Testament law, prophets and writings, he had spoken to him about how to water that seed. You know what will happen the next week? He'll help me remove things from my life I didn't even know were there because the fruitful become even more fruitful. If you start off with one really fruitful tree, it's not long before you have a whole grove. But you can have a whole grove that aren't fruitful and they don't produce anything. They just sit there and die. In 1 Corinthians 15, I know you're in 1 Peter. You plant one kind of seed, but what do you get? You get something altogether different. This man is holding the Methuselah resurrection tree in his hand right now. Does it look like it? Truthfully, it looks like a big rat visited his hand. In fact, I don't know that I would have held those in my hand. It doesn't look like much. Somebody said it came from Masada. Well, people say their toothpick came from Noah's Ark. I, I wouldn't know. Wouldn't care. If I just judged that according to natural standards, it would mean nothing to me. But the Lord knows something that you don't know. He knows about the potential that is in each one of those seeds. Do you know that that Methuselah tree, when he finds his bride, could bring back a harvest that has not been around since the days of Jesus and it could happen in our lifetimes? Oh, the scientists are going crazy. What if it's got the cure for cancer in it? What if, what if there's medicinal properties for it? Pliny the Elder talked about medicinal properties of the Judean Palm tree. What if there's this? What if there's that? I'm just excited to see that God brings things that look dead to life and is miraculous. If God's growing something in your life, do you put a fence around it? Do you put security cameras on it? Are you manning it 24 hours a day? 
or did you take that potting plant, just toss it in the backyard and hope it does all right? See, this was so precious to them that there was a staff of people dedicated to this one seed becoming all that it's supposed to be. Elder Steve's given his life for the gospel. Elder Baj has given his life for the gospel. Elder Charlie has literally been there since the first day of my experience with Jesus. Pastor Matthew and Pastor Wade, we're all dedicated to one thing. That the seed that was planted in you produces the harvest that it's supposed to produce. That's not us judging you. It's not us mad at you. It's not us giving up on you. It's none of the things that the devil would tell you. It is a tenacious desire to offer the king something from your life. Forgive me for the sarcasm that you're about to hear. Shame on me that I couldn't be bought off. That I wasn't after your money. That we didn't want your praise. Shame on us, we were just too weak for all of that. The one thing that we did ask for you, from you is that you take this word seriously enough to try to apply it in new and inventive and bold ways every day. Every day. That any time you got a revelation from the Lord, you brought it to us and shared with us so that we might be benefited by what's going on in your life. Even the newest people here, you've heard at least a couple things from me that came from the heavens. How many of you have picked up the phone to call a pastor or an elder and share with them something you got out of the heavens? See, we're not interested in church as Americans do it. We're interested in church as it appears in the gospel. Let's turn to 1 Peter 1, 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply and from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Say imperishable. I have the living word of God in me and it cannot die. It is imperishable. Did the Lord give you a promise? It cannot perish. Did the word of God speak something to you? It cannot perish. The very gates of hell cannot overcome it. You have the imperishable seed of God in you. It might need water. It might need you to work your soil. But nothing is wrong with the seed. Pick it back up. The imperishable Seed of God is in you. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The living and what? The living and what? The word of God endures for all time. Will you continue to work the soil for as long as you're in the tent of this body? 
The Word of God was true in 1993 when I was born again. It's true in 2016 as I stand here and preach it. The only difference between then and now is the soil of my own heart. We're waiting on God to move. We're waiting. We're waiting. Stop waiting and start working the soil. If you will work the soil... God will do the rest. You take mighty steps. Get out there and try in faith and He will bring mighty miracles. He has not gone into retirement because you have hit difficult times. Is there a time in your life you felt closer to the Lord? Because there shouldn't be. And if there is, you don't feel condemned by that. You simply work your soil right now, you water it right now, and you change it in the very next worship set. But to continue to show up, acknowledge it, continue to show up, acknowledge it, maybe lob a couple bombs at somebody else, continue to show up, acknowledge it, be mean to everybody around you. That's not what was planted in you. That's not what was planted... What was given you is so precious, so pure, that if some archaeologist finds it 2,000 years from now and he puts a little drop of water on it, he'll get a harvest. God has not given up on one person in this room. I'll go so far as to say God hasn't given up on one person watching this video. If it made it into your hands, he intended for it to. You have the imperishable word of God. All men are like grass and all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands for? The word of the Lord stands for? The question is, will you stand with the word? Or while it's trying to stand up inside you, does your own soil smother? And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, work the soil. And all deceit, work the soil. And all hypocrisy, work the soil. All envy, work your soil. All slander, work the soil. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up, grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The way that we work the soil is we hear. We retain and we persevere. Say it with me. Hear. Retain. retain, Persevere. persevere. What you have in you cannot die. What you have in you cannot be destroyed. What you have in you, if watered and you work the soil, will a hundred percent of the time produce fruit. Could you stand to your feet? I know exactly what it's like to walk out of this building feeling like a failure. So I have more empathy for you than you might think that I have for you when you walk away from here discouraged after hearing a word. You know how many times the people who preach in this church walk away discouraged after they're done preaching? You know how many times a man like Alex Adarmas gives an extraordinary word on a Friday night, but on Saturday morning feels lower than than a worm? You know how many times Pastor Sutherland, Pastor Stevens... Or Pastor Piro preaches a word 
gives their very best in the next day, all they can think about is what they should have said, what they shouldn't have said, and all the ways God could have called better men. But the truth is, all we have before us is the delivery of the imperishable seed and the working of our soil. So I'm going to tell you what we do with all of that condemnation that we receive. Not from you, from the enemy, from ourselves. We tell it to go to hell where it belongs. We choose to dwell on what the Word says. We put water on what the Word says. We pray over what the Word says. And when we have thoughts that don't match what the Word says, we say, get the hell out of my mind. I will not dwell on it. I'm not going to water something that is yucky. I'm going to water the Word and it will bring in my life a harvest. I've been doing it for 23 years. I know something about it. So listen to me, new Christian. You cannot trust your thoughts. You cannot trust your feelings. You can only trust the Word of God. Water the Word and work your soil. And God will do the rest. And we will all rejoice in the harvest that comes. We're going to finish that song in just a second. But I, I have a declaration. Fruit is a kind of food. Hebrews read from right to left. The word that you're looking at on the screen is zerah. It is for seed. Fruit beginning. Watch me. That needs to be your declaration coming out of this service. If you have the seed in you, then that food or fruit is beginning. You'll be able to watch it. You'll be able to see it. It begins right now. Is there anybody in the room that wants to produce fruit for the King? Then let us sing with a prayerful heart and declare to the heavens that we will go where He goes. We'll say what He says. But the result will be fruit. Because that is what happens when you have an imperishable seed inside of you. Amen. So the result is certain as long as your will is set and you persevere. You've heard it. Retain it. And now we're going to persevere in it. You can watch the fruit beginning now. Amen. Let's sing it as a declaration and we'll close our service and go out and bear fruit that bears fruit. Amen and amen.